Devin told me this morning, in order to feed, uh, make 25,000 meal packets on that day in two hours, we need 450 people. So that means we've got to share, church. We've got to invite, invite friends to participate. Uh, please, please, please talk to Devin, because I'm sure maybe there's questions you're going through your head and you're wondering what's happening. He's the guy that can am- help answer any of your questions. Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy. Take out your growth guide that's in your, uh, in your bulletin. If you miss them, remember growth guides, you always download them off the website. You always pick up extra at a table in the back room. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We started two weeks ago just walking through the book of 1 Timothy. So healthy for us, church, to take chunks of Scripture, to walk through just a whole letter where God has written this to his church and try to understand what does it mean for us today in 2018. And as we walk through the book of 1 Timothy, we've been learning that this is God's instruction manual. This is his playbook, so to speak. This is, he says, here is how my church is supposed to function. Here is the the ideal he wants us to accomplish. And so we want to be able to look at his instruction manual, his playbook, and say, how are we doing? Are all the ingredients, are we following the playbook, or do we need to make some adjustments? And so in week one, we talked talked about the priorities of the church, and what should the church be focused on, and then some of you said, Brian, you turned around and did the same 11 verses again. That's because we're slow learners. And so we just said, we'll start all over. Not really. There's a whole other angle. The priority of the pastors. What are the pastors supposed to be doing? So we looked at what the church is supposed to be doing. What are the pastors supposed to be doing? And now today we're going to look at the priority of the Savior. Look at what Jesus' role is in this whole idea of the church. So look at your text with me. Today we move on to verse 12. And some of you guys are saying... Praise God. We're getting past the first 11 verses. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. Now, who's writing these words? Paul, right? Don't forget that. Who's he writing this to? Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor, and Paul's an older pastor. Paul's been through the war wounds, so to speak, and he's writing to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, here's how you're going to lead the church. He says, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy appointing me to his service, even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what we have before us right here? We have the Apostle Paul's testimony. That's what this is. Right here, the Apostle Paul is sharing his faith. He's telling his story. He's letting Timothy and all those who would come after Timothy, who's reading this letter, saying, my life has been changed. He's laying it out for us, church, to go, look at this is who I was, and this is what God has done in my life. Now, no one can argue with a changed life. They can argue and debate Scripture. 
They can argue and debate, is God real, is God not real? Did Jesus really die on a cross? Was he really in a tomb for three days? How do we know all that really happened? They can argue and debate that stuff all day long, but they can't argue when you stand before them and say, this is where my life was at one time, but here is where I am at today. There's no argument with that, is there? There is no way for someone to argue with my life has been changed. Earlier in the year, we heard from Nick Zagaruka. We heard from Devin Audie. We heard from Mike Plowman. We heard from Diana Starnes. And we said, this year, I'd love to have some testimonies. love to have some people share their story and say, here's what my life was, and now here's what it is now. I'm still looking for those stories. Not going to force them, but many of you in this room have a story. If you've met Jesus, you have a story. And I'd love to hear your story. We'd love to share your story with the church. When you look throughout the Bible, you see stories of changed lives. The blind man in John chapter 9, the woman at the well, the dead girl who was, who was dead and was raised to life because a personal testimony is a witnessing tool. And when you get your story rock solid and you get it down, and then as you're going through life and you run into people, you'll have a chance to say, well, here's what my life is or has been, and here's how it now is different, and it's different because of Jesus. I mean, you understand this, and I understand this, that business people know that the best advertising is what? A satisfied customer. Why do you go to restaurant A, B, or C? Because probably someone told you, hey, you need to go to that restaurant. Why do you go to a certain bank? Maybe someone recommended that bank to you. Why do you go to a certain dealership to buy your car? Probably because somebody recommended that dealership. Why do you use a plumber? You never notice in Masterson Station? How many people here on a Masterson Station, friends of Masterson Facebook group? A lot of people. What do people ask for? Recommendations. Anybody know a plumber? Anybody know an electrician? Anybody know someone to mow my grass? Anybody know a babysitter? Anybody know who can paint? Anybody know? I mean, constantly people are asking for recommendation. And sometimes they even say, hey, does anybody know of a good church in town? You have an opportunity for testimony. And when you testify about Jesus, you're saying, Jesus has changed my life. The best way to tell people your story is tell them what's happened to you. Tell them what happened to you. Tell them how your life has been changed. I became a Christian at age 11. Now 45 years old, that's 34 years I can look back and I can go, man, look at how God has been working in my life. There's a story. The time that you met Jesus till now, you look back, you go, how's my life been a little bit different? See, when you tell what Jesus has done for your life, it makes it more meaningful, not only to other people, but also to your own heart. In your own heart in life, you go, man, Jesus is making a difference. Let me just ask you to stop for a moment. I want you to stop and think about when was the time I met Jesus? When was the time I surrendered my heart, my mind, my soul to him? When was the time maybe you met him in the waters of baptism? I mean, think on that for a second. Maybe it was in the last year, last six months, maybe the last six years, maybe the last 20 years, 25 years. How has life been different for you? I don't want you to walk out of here today without stopping and thinking about that. Now, some in this room are going, I'm not sure if I'm there yet. I'm on that journey. We would love to help you. Love to help you cross that line of faith. We love to help you know and understand what it means to walk with Jesus as a Christian, as a God follower. George Beverly Shea, 
I'm taking you back a little bit away. Some of you all recognize that name. He was a gospel songwriter, and he did a lot of the songs at the Billy Graham Crusades. He would stand up and sing, and he sang one song that said, There's the wonder of sunset evening, the wonder of sunrise I see, but the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. There's the wonder of springtime and harvest, the sky, the stars, the sun, the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is a wonder that's only begun. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of all, just to think that God loves me. It's wondrous to see rain come when rain needs to come, to see the sun rise, to see the pictures and the beauty of that, to see trees that are in bloom and trees that will start to change color, to see snow that will fall to the ground, to see the greatest and the massive oceans that we have around us. It's a wonder to see the thousands and thousands of stars in the sky, but the most wondrous thing is to know that right where you are in this journey of life, God loves you in the midst of that. And he loves you deeply. See, here in these verses, through his own personal testimony, Paul shows us the priority of the Savior. And Paul shared his testimony several times. You see it in the book of Acts. You see it in Galatians. You see it in the book of Philippians. You see it now in 1 Timothy. And Paul is saying, I am exhibit A of what God can do in somebody's life who surrenders to Jesus. He says, look at my life. Look what I've done. And so I want this morning is to stop and just look at Paul's testimony, break it down. Sometimes we get to thinking that certain people are unsavable. Sometimes we think about ourselves. How could God save me? Look at my list of everything I've done. How could God love me? i got all this junk, this baggage that I carry. I want to tell you this morning, that's a lie from Satan. It's an absolute lie from Satan. And sometimes we start to doubt and go, how could God possibly change my friend or my wife or my husband or my kids or my coworker because they have this list that's that long? That's a lie from Satan. We're going to see that today as we look at Paul, because Paul says, I am the worst of sinners. Let's discover together these priorities of the Savior. The great apostle Paul draws out by looking at his testimony. He begins his testimony with a grateful servant's heart. Look again at verses 12 through 14. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy because God acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul is overwhelmed with thankfulness here. He's overwhelmed with thankfulness for what Christ has done for him. When's the last time you've been overwhelmed with thankfulness for the Lord has done in your life? If not, I think it's worth asking a question, why? Why have I not stopped and went, oh my goodness, look where I was at, but look what God has done. Notice what Paul says he's thankful for. He says, I'm thankful that Jesus chose me. Verse 12, three times in verse 12, he uses the word me. He makes it very personal. He's overwhelmed that Jesus saved him, he, that Jesus considered him faithful. He said the Lord thought he could depend upon me. You see it right there in verse 12, that he considered me trustworthy. And he's overwhelmed with that, that, that Jesus put me in ministry. He says he gave me service to do. 
And he's like, I'm overwhelmed. God has given me the strength and the abilities. He gives us the power to carry out whatever he calls us to do. In the book of Philippians, Paul said in chapter 4, verse 3, 4, 4, 13, that I can do everything through Christ who gives me what? Who gives me strength. He said, I can do everything through him because Paul realizes without him I am weak. And so he says, I'm thankful that he chose me. He says, I'm thankful that Jesus converted me. Verse 13, he realizes Jesus has done the conversion. Paul remembered who he was. He said, I was a blasphemer. You read through the book of Acts, you see that. He mocked and made fun of Jesus and those who follow him. Remember his name was Saul? We've been reading through the book of Acts with some guys I've been studying the word with. And uh, at Stephen's stoning, it's quite overwhelming to me to see there at the end, after Stephen is stoned and put to death for his faith, it says right there that Saul was standing there giving approval to it. Standing there going, yeah, this is good stuff. Eliminate these people who believe in the way, who believe in Jesus Christ. That that's good. And Saul was right there, a blasphemer. How could anyone blaspheme God after all he's done for us, giving us Jesus? But Paul stood there and spit in the face of people when he was Saul. He said, I was a persecutor. He persecuted believers. He made their lives miserable. He got letters of permission to persecute believers and to throw them into prison. Anybody who was a believer, when he was living underneath the name of Saul, he was doing everything he could to stop it. He says, I was a violent man. I was a violent man. There was a sadistic kind of cruelty in him. He, he enjoyed watching others be persecuted. And he participated in persecuting others. I mean, you stop and compare your list. Go ahead and put your list in your mind. Make your list of all those, all, all those awful, terrible, horrible things that you've done, right? And you start to believe, how could God possibly love me? And just do a little bit of the comparison game, which is not a good game, but compare yourself to Paul. You ever killed anybody because of their faith? You ever made fun of Christians? You ever persecuted Christians? You ever tried to stop God's ways of going forward? You ever done anything like that? And if you study the life of Saul, man alive, he was ruthless. Ruthless towards God. And he says, but I was shown mercy. If you've met Jesus, you've been shown mercy. And you've even been shown mercy, but if you haven't met Jesus, you're just learning to try to understand what that means. You know, mercy is the fact that God doesn't give us what we do deserve. That's what mercy is. And grace is that God gives us what we could never deserve. And what Paul is saying, listen here, I deserve to be separated from God forever. I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve eternity. I don't deserve Jesus going to the cross. But God didn't give him what he deserved. Instead, he turned around and said, here's my son, and I'll give this my son to you so that your sins are done away with. And God's done the same for you. Paul was grateful for God's mercy. He's going through and saying, thank you, God Almighty. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a violent man. In simple terms, he was saying, I, I, I did not believe in God. And my life did not reflect God at all. See, if you're saved today, you're a recipient of God's mercy and grace. But the question has to be answered today, am I saved? Have I surrendered my life to Jesus? Have I accepted him as my Savior? Paul said, I acted in ignorance and unbelief. 
ignorance. I, I was unschooled. I, I didn't understand. I didn't have the knowledge. I was ignorant. That's not ignorant like a slam. It's just I was uninformed. For instance, I'm very ignorant when it comes to computers. I can use them, but get inside of them, I know nothing about a computer. As it comes to a car, I'm very ignorant. I know there's oil has to go in and tires have to be rotated, but I don't want to take them off. I couldn't look at the, I look at the engine and go, yep, it's an engine. Because I'm ignorant. I don't know what goes on inside that. When it comes to building something, I'm pretty ignorant. I have a hard time reading a ruler. I don't know how to put the plans together. I'm ignorant to that. And we all have areas where we're ignorant. We're on school. We just don't understand. In other words, he didn't understand, but there was also an unbelief. He said, I was ignorant and I was unbelief. Like he just said, there's no way this God thing can be real. There's no way this Jesus is really going to save me. See, it's possible to have a PhD in medicine and be completely ignorant to spiritual things. It's possible to have all kinds of titles behind your name. It's possible to be climbing a corporate ladder. It's possible to be making hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions of dollars and still be spiritually bankrupt. You don't know Jesus is your Savior. Because we don't come to Christ with our head first. We come with our heart first. Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth, that's what Jesus instructed Paul, so the Spirit instructed Paul to say to the church in Rome, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you, are con- that you confess and are saved. It finally dawned on Paul what he had done. It finally dawned on him who God is and what Jesus had done. And he says, I'm thankful that Jesus chose me, that he converted me. And lastly, I'm thankful that Jesus covered me. In verse 14, says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus poured out his grace to, on Paul. And actually, if you go to the original language of the word abundantly, it actually means super abundantly, extraordinarily abundantly. In other words, there's not an English word that can really emphasize the abundance grace that was poured out. And he poured that out along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And Paul said to the church in Rome in chapter 5, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Where I was filled with sin, God's grace even abounded more and washed it all away. When you and I get saved, God does the same thing for you and me. The same thing. Where your sin is great, His grace is even greater. Where your sin is, is a ton, His grace is even more, more tons. I don't know if that's the right way to say that. His tonnage is greater. And we tend to hold on to our sin and say, look at all my stuff. It's time to lay it down. You don't have to keep carrying it around. That old backpack that's on your back, that weight that's carrying you down, it's time to let go of it. The old hymn says, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Free. And today you could be free in Jesus Christ. So he starts with a th- grateful heart, and then he turns her over to the truthful saying. Verse 15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. This is a reliable, 
trustworthy statement that he makes that you and I can depend upon. Matter of fact, Paul's whole mission in life as he walked through life was this. Paul uses this phrase five times in just the pastoral epistles. In 1 Timothy, he says it in chapter 1 and chapter 3 and in chapter 4. In 2 Timothy, he turns around and says it again in chapter 2. And in Titus, he says it again in chapter 3. He's like, this is a trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came to this world. You can rely on this. It's dependable. It's trustworthy. Here's the priority of the Savior is that Christ Jesus came to this world to save sinners. That's the priority of the Savior. And as you look back at the first 11 verses, he says, church, your priority, remember what it was? In, in a nutshell, protect the truth of the doctrine. Don't buy into the false teaching. And then he came along and said, pastor, make sure you're protecting the truth of the doctrine. Don't buy into false teaching and help the church then to do that as well and do all this in love. And he comes here and Paul testifies and Paul's like, here's the priority. We're all stinking sinners. Praise God for Jesus Christ because he came for us. Christ Jesus came in to the world to save sinners. The Son of Man came to save lost people. He came for you and I when we were abandoning God, when we turned our backs on God, when at one time we were saying, I'm not sure if I understand God or I ignore God or when I wandered away from God. He came for you. And your co-worker, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your grandchild, your neighbor, the ones you know who carry that long list who were like, ah, I'm not sure if God could ever say them. I want to tell you, keep praying. Keep praying. Don't give up because God came for them as well and gave his son Jesus on the cross. What must it have been like when Jesus left heaven to come to earth? In the book of Philippians, Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he says, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God's saying, listen, I came out of heaven. I came in as a form of a human. And being found as appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul is saying, listen, God stepped out of heaven for you and me. He stepped out of heaven. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ the Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's saying, listen, I came down out of heaven because I love you that much. To die on a cross, Jesus came to this wicked, rebellious world to save sinners, and it all started in a stinking stable and from there, it only got worse. Because he loves you that much. All Jesus did was go around trying to teach people who are far from him, lost people, that they need Jesus. One night he explained what it meant to be born again to Nicodemus. Stories known as Nick at night. One day at Jacob's well, he told the Samaritan woman, I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. She dropped her water jug and ran back to town telling other people about Jesus changing her life. One day he held a lunch 
at the home of, ta- of a tax collector, and before he left, Zacchaeus was promising to give back four times what he has stolen from the people because he said, no longer do I want to run with the tax collector. I want to run with Jesus. One by one, Jesus saved sinners everywhere he went. And church, I got to tell you, he's still doing that work today. He still does it today, but the question is, do we really believe it? Because I'm concerned that the church in America just kind of wants to play church. Just kind of show up, sing some songs, hear a message, go home. No, the Lord wants to do that work in your life and in your acquaintances and people's lives who you're involved in, a street that you live on and a co-worker that you interact with, people that you meet. He still wants people to know that Jesus saves their soul. Jesus even stopped on a dying cross to save a sinner. Stop on a dying cross and say, you will be with me in paradise. See, the priority of the Savior was to reach lost people. Verse 15, Paul says, I'm, I'm the worst of sinners. He wrote to the church in Corinth that he had been a, a very arrogant man in 2 Corinthians. I was full of arrogance. And to the church of Ephesus, he says, I've been extremely humbled in Ephesians chapter 3. My life has been changed. Verse 16, he says, I was shown mercy. I received what I didn't deserve, is what he's saying. And there's hope for you, and there's hope for me, and the worst of sinners in this world. Through Paul, Jesus is able to show an unlimited patience. Paul's salvation was an example to others, and yours is too. Church, hear me on that. When is the last time that you've had a conversation with somebody Where you're able to say, man, my life has been wrecked. It's been messed up. I've made stupid, awful choices. But thank God for Jesus Christ. What I hear from the church many times, from the church body, I can't share my faith. I just don't know the Bible well enough. I don't know if they start asking me this question or that question. I don't know where I would turn them to. You know, you don't have to know all that when you know what God's done in your heart. When you know what he's done in your life, you're able to speak up and say, here what God has done. And you say, someone asked me a question. Well, I'm not really sure. Let's find that answer. I'll ask my small group leader. I'll ask my preacher. I don't know. I don't know all those answers. I just know I met Jesus and my life is different. And as you grow and as you share that story, you'll get better understanding the scripture. You'll get better at sharing that. But typically people want to know, what's he done for you? See, you wouldn't dare tell somebody hey, go on down to that restaurant down there and get a hamburger. Unless you've been there to have one yourself, right? So why would someone ever want to come and meet Jesus unless first you've met him? And you can say, I've met him. and My life has been changed. We see a grateful servant. We see the truthful saving that says, here's the priority of Jesus. And lastly, we see an eternal Savior. Look at verse 17. Paul starts with his heart of thankfulness, and then he says, all right, the Savior's here to save. And verse 17, he says, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He bookmarks his testimony with, I'm thankful for Jesus. Here's what he did. I'm a sinner. And now let's praise Jesus. There's an outline for your testimony. I'd love to have somebody else share this year. I'd love to have some more here as we end the year where someone can stand up and say, yep, this is who Jesus is. I'm thankful. Here's some of the junk that was in my life, but he's taken it away, and now let's give him praise forevermore. Having begun this passage of thanksgiving, Paul now closes with what's known as a doxology, praising the name of Jesus. He's now to the king. Who's he talking about? King Jesus. 
eternal, which is forever, king of the ages, immortal. He's saying you're imperishable, incorruptible. He'll never know death. He'll never know decay or loss of strength. He says the invisible that God has revealed himself to us through Jesus. And Paul said, I've started something I can do forever that I'll be able to praise Jesus forever. You know, the only way to praise Jesus forever is to be underneath his blood. Because then you praise him forever, even when you leave this life. I was talking with someone coming in this morning that uh, their mom had passed. And they said, it's okay. <laughs> My mom's with Jesus. You know, that's supposed to be normal. That's normal. When someone who is in Christ, they pass from this life, which is a temporary life, and they go on to the eternal home, that's supposed to be normal. Say, praise God, my mom has been healed. The physical body is now taken care of. That's normal. And we can praise the Lord forever. What about you? Do you have a testimony? you have a testimony like Paul? Are you, are you so excited that you're praising Jesus forever and ever, and you're like, God, I want to tell my story. Just give me people to tell it to. If Jesus has changed your life, folks, i got to tell you, it's time to share it. It is time for us, church, to open our mouths and say, Jesus has made a difference in my life. It's changed it. And if you don't have a testimony like that, you know, you can begin a testimony today. Today could be the day you draw a line in the sand. You say, you know, I gave my life to Jesus some time ago. I'm drawing a line in the sand. Today is a day of repentance. Today I'm renewing my walk with Christ. Today could be a day you draw a line in the sand. You say, I'm no longer living for this world. I want to live for this Jesus who has given all for me. And you could confess and repent, accept Jesus as your Savior and follow in Christian baptism. We'd love to help you on that journey here at Centerpoint. Here in a moment, we're going to move this time of communion. We'll receive the emblems. It's also a time of repentance, time of confession. It could be a time of commitment where you just get up and you move to the back of the room. I'll beat you back there and help you take steps of faith with Jesus. It could be a time you use the connection card and say, I'm on that journey. Help me. Let's talk about my faith. Let's talk about where I'm at in Jesus. Let's bow our heads together and let's pray.